Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to All Stats, Aren't We? A podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie, the new approach to set pieces of the podcast. If we score more than we concede, we're fine. And I'm joined by the return of Pablo Hernandez of the podcast, Tom Woodhead. The old timer coming back after a bit of a break. And finally, the Jack Harrison screamer of the podcast. Okay, it makes little difference to the result, but it looks good. It's Joe Hill. Joe, how are you doing? I'm great. Yeah, I'm absolutely brilliant. Um, what a game last night. Some fantastic goals. Um, it's just fantastic to wake up this morning, watch the highlights, just read all the reaction and uh, silence all the twats on Twitter that uh, <laughs> and on the pundits on TV that said that we were getting tired and that Bielsa burnout was a thing. You know, that was fantastic to silence them. Yeah, and the last few games have been a bit miserable to watch as well, so it's nice to have a bit of a bit a bit more of a rip roarer for us to to enjoy. Tom Woodhead, cynical people have noticed that you only seem to come on this podcast to do reviews when we win. So, was was the result decided from the off when we decided that you were doing the review this week? Absolutely, it was written in the stars. <laughs> I'm assuming you also enjoyed the game yesterday. Yeah, it was great. Um, it was nice to have. I say we just like really struggled to score goals recently, haven't we? I mean quite apart from all the problems at the back so it was nice to have a game where you know we we just got it done a bit more so we always begin with uh, well how did that feel what did you feel going through the game uh, as it unfolded Tom I thought the first 10 minutes were quite nervy um, we gave the ball away a lot in the first 10 minutes and it seemed like it it might be a difficult match but that quite often ends up being the case I think that the first 10 minutes are a bit dicey and then uh, after that we mostly controlled it apart from the moments when Newcastle had their brief uh, their brief counter-attacks and obviously we have perennial problems with set pieces but um, in, in, in terms of how you know if you were to look at the game in a sober uh, sort of reasoned way afterwards I think we totally dominated it really. Yeah how about you Joe how did you feel about the game? Pretty much the whole time, I just felt that we were playing really well. Even when it got to half time, I thought it was a brilliant performance so far. And even on 60, 70 minutes, um, I thought we were playing fantastically. I, I actually really enjoyed watching it, despite obviously every corner, um, I was just shitting my pants. Um, but aside from those moments, 
um, I really enjoyed it and I thought yeah like Tom said we got the result we deserved but um, I think the performance was was brilliant for the vast majority of the time. Yeah it's easy to forget that we actually weren't ahead until with about 12 about 12 minutes to go it was still two all wasn't it like it's, like it's easy to forget that it was very much in the balance for quite a long time yeah and i think there's a point to be made here which is uh, we came out of that game feeling very very positive about a lot of things which um had certain events not transpired on the pitch maybe we wouldn't have felt that way and um i, I was just saying to joe off air that um whilst it was a great performance and I, i'm really really thrilled that we won because it felt like a big game for me it felt like one we could turn things around um after after a few poor results um two it felt like a, it, it felt like a game where if we win it then we're, we're just looking so much more comfortable in terms of relegation battles um again um but also we talk about game state a lot on this podcast for a reason and i think you know the difference between us being one one nil down two one down with with time to play that two one up sorry with time to play and then them coming back in quite quickly is that we just ne- we were never really able to extend the, uh, the the game in any sort of way, and then once we went three two up and they started pushing a little bit more, we then quickly cons- uh, scored two goals, um, and that's a lot to do with the fact that they were just pushing for a goal because it was late in the game and they needed to try and get something. So there's certain questions I think we've been asked which are, are maybe not taking that into account. So questions about Pablo, obviously Pablo Pablo came on played well, but um, it was just an absolutely beautiful setup for him he was going to get time space on the ball and that's the the sort of situation he thrives on so um I just wanted to throw that caveat in there um other than that we we had a question from Matt Chapman who said was it tactics or individual performances that won the night Joe Hill what do you make of that question I thought this is a really interesting question actually it was uh, when I saw it in the running order I, I thought that was a really difficult one to answer um so Obviously, I'm going to take the cop out of saying it was a bit of both um, because <laughs> there were plenty of fantastic individual performances and I'm sure we'll get into that later. But in terms of the thing that actually won us the game, the thing that got us the three points, I I think it was the, the fourth and the fifth goal that just put the game to bed. And when you think about it, that is to do with a, a tactic that, that Bielsa has, which is that you know we relentlessly attack regardless of what time of the game it is and regardless of what's going on at that moment we'll just always go for the next goal so when you see three four five players sprinting up the pitch to get the fourth goal to get the fifth goal um and and then we get it that's what actually gets us the three points so in that sense I think it 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 maybe is a bit more the tactics over the individual performances yeah how would you answer that question Tom yeah I feel like um the tactics that were at play in this game were much more on a kind of macro level than, you know, it's just the way that we play football. Um, and that obviously is tactics, but it's not like um, like the Everton game where it felt like we kind of outfoxed them in a very specific way with tweaks that we made to the system. This was much more us, I think, just playing the way that we play most games. And obviously the tactics are a huge part of that, but it didn't feel like anything specific to this game. Yeah, I think that's a good point to make. I don't feel as though we changed anything up tactically because I don't think they changed anything up tactically. And as far as Bielsa is concerned, that doesn't really matter um, if we're if we're matching them um, man for man quite easily and still generating chances through our movement on in the in possession. And I don't think Bielsa worries too much about things. And I don't think anything really changed. We saw a couple of like for like substitutions, and that was about it. Um, I suppose. Um, 
what I would say is that tactically it was quite a staid game. I think given that I didn't have a clue what was going on before um, in terms of the, the, the formations and the lineups, um, it actually played out f- fairly. It's one of those ones where in hindsight you look at it and think, how did I not pick that this was going to be the way that they played? But they basically played in a 4-4-1-1 with um, Joe Linton basically dropping a little bit. And uh, I was surprised that we came out in a 4-1-4-1, but... Um, lo and behold Bielsa was right and um, Joe Linton played a little bit deeper and so they ended up basically playing a 4-2-3-1 out in in sort of in possession and then a 4-4-2 mid block in uh, out of possession phases and between those two things the 4-1-4-1 just worked fine and um, there there was no issues there there was a few suppositions that it could be the case that Calvin might drop in between the centre backs um, and play, we might play as back three, but that really only happened in the first minute or so. So I presume Bielsa had prepped them and said, look, just be a little bit careful out of possession that you're you're not getting overloaded in that defensive area. And from there, it was fine. So yeah, I, I, I do think that the, in terms of individual performances, we we did have some good individual performances. We we scored some goals, <laughs> fairly low low percentages. The Rodrigo goal was absolutely astonishing as a goal. I thought. Um, we're, you know that that's the sort of goal that we. It, it, I mean, that's the Jack Harrison conundrum, perhaps, is that sometimes he pulls off just the the absolutely sublime, um, and sometimes he pulls off the absolutely ridiculous. Um, but we'll get on to talk about about Jack Harrison. I think I think for me it was sort of it was more of an individual performances under uh, over the the sort of base tactics. Obviously, the tactics give us a huge amount of edge over other teams, and that was the sort of game yesterday that really really. highlights that Newcastle I thought were way off the pace they were not very good um, off the ball their pressing was poor they didn't press us in wide areas and you know I know I bang on about this but any team who presses us in wide areas uh, when we're on the ball is going to have much more joy than a team that doesn't and Newcastle were a team that didn't and I think that 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 stood to reason so let's move on to talk about the game itself we had a few questions actually about playing through the middle um so Perry Piper Perry says uh, it seemed like we played through the middle a lot more today and it suited us or is that just me Phillips and Rodrigo playing so well helped um yeah uh Tom what would what, what do you make of this one yeah um I think as much as anything, it's it's to do with Rafinha, I think, because I think Rafinha comes central a lot more than any of the other wingers, uh, especially especially in terms of getting in the box. Like um, he almost becomes a second striker at times, and when it works really well, uh, Rodrigo drops back and becomes an extra midfielder in those phases of play, or drops wide. Um, I think I think Rodrigo tends to play this way anyway, and. It didn't. I mean, it helped that Newcastle just left this giant open space in front of their back four. Like for a team that has a reputation for being dogged and defensive, I thought they were actually surprisingly kind of milk toast and sort of just wishy washy. Like I was expecting them to be a lot more um, sort of determinedly solid, but um, yeah, they 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 see it was a, they, they seemed to have it in their heads that they were going to try and attack, but they didn't actually know what to do in order to do it. So. Um, I, I, yeah, I mean, we I, we probably did play through the middle uh, more than we do we usually do, but I think there was just a lot more space in the middle than we normally get. So it's it's just a result of that, really. Yeah, I think that's the the tactic will always end up with us trying to exploit space where it is, mm-hmm. which is why we usually end up wide. But um, I think again, like Newcastle were just way off it, and you, you know Newcastle for a team who are probably relegation potential even at this point. Um, 
they've been overperforming their numbers quite a lot and so i think a lot of people expect them expect a bit more of them than they actually have they i think that they're one of those teams who maybe are quite good going forward because they you know with with lower table teams there seems to be like a payoff pay between like going forward and staying back and they just they they tend towards the going forward and get away with it um whereas some teams stay back but they don't like create anything and it's sort of like the sheffield united approach so um i think it's just one of those ones where their numbers finally caught up with them as well um rich Priestley said do you think one of the benefits of a high energy style is that it means that whatever your style of play is you have to play play it well to beat us and should that be enough to keep us up joe hill yeah, absolutely. That's that's a huge benefit of our style because you either have to be extremely clinical um, and take your chances, take the, the few chances that you will have if, if you're going to sit deep, or you have to match our energy um, man for man and just, you know, sprint far more than you normally would, um, like Chelsea did. And in fairness, they, they did play a really good game against us. Um, in terms of if that's enough to keep us up, uh, I think it probably is. I think we've shown that we can pick up the points in certain areas um, against certain teams and, you know, sometimes we'll get beat and sometimes we'll win the games and maybe we'll we'll lose uh, more than we win this season. That that may well be the case, but I think we've shown that we, we can get enough points on the board. We're, we're over halfway there or, or nearly halfway there anyway. We've got 17, so um, I think it will be enough to keep us up, yeah. Well, let's break down the attacking and the, the defensive side of the game. So Callum Archibald says, talk to me about Jack Harrison. Terrible for weeks and then pulls out two magic moments tonight. What gives? Uh, Tom, we'll go with you first on this. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought his overall game wasn't particularly different to how it's been. Um, first half, it was a you know, it was similar to how he's been in recent games. And, and yeah, two absolutely magic moments, especially. I mean, obviously the goal was just incredible. And that's the kind of goal that, you know, might be up there with you know in the list long list for goal of the season but I, th- I thought the cross uh like the touch and the cross that he got in for Rodrigo was just astounding like the ball was a little bit overhit to him I think that Rodri- even though it was a great pass from Rodrigo and then like he just just kind of karate kicks it back into into play and uh, and a great header from Rodrigo as well who although Rodrigo doesn't seem to be great in the air I think his heading technique is extremely good um, I think we've seen that quite a few times since he's come to the club but I think the space in the middle helped in terms of Harrison's performance as well. Because I, th- I think if you look at the part he played in the third goal, Dallas's goal, when Harrison's playing well and when he's confident, I think as he was after uh, he got the assist for that second goal, he comes inside a bit more, he links up. He always does the defensive stuff, which gets overlooked. And on days like today, when the attacking stuff comes off as well, he just, he looks like a really great player. And I just I just hope that he can get his decision making right on a more consistent basis because he, he, can, he can be a really great Premier League winger I think he's got all the ingredients if um, if he can just get his decision making right more often yeah the decision making thing is quite interesting um, Joe what's your take on on that side of the of his game do you think it is that he has all of the attributes that he needs to be great but he just doesn't ever do them in the right order <laughs> yeah I think that I think that is a factor I, th- I think he's still missing a couple of attributes um, if you ask me um, there was a lot of chat about him being left-footed and on the left wing and how that affects his um, performance. 
And obviously, a lot of wingers nowadays are inverted because they can cut in and because it's not just about launching crosses um, into, you know, the top, the the front two who will be massive six footers. You know, it's a bit it's a bit different now in the modern game. Um, But still, having said that, I think um, his crossing could be better and he never really looks like he's going to take on a man you know on a 1v1 you don't you don't really see him beating um the man like wingers such as Traore or Sterling might do um obviously they're two you know amazing wingers um so maybe that's a bit unfair um so I'm not so I don't think he's the finished article but um I think I think he's good enough for this for this Leeds team I, I wouldn't drop him certainly um in the near future um, and he and he showed why we should keep him uh, last night because you know although he might have a quiet game or a couple of games he can still produce amazing moments in the game and uh, that's that's why we should keep him in the eleven in my view. Yeah, I mean, I do think the difference between the the Championship and the Premier League is quite obvious with with Jack. I think he's one of these players who gets he thrives in 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 sort of space or in one on one situations where he's not put under a huge amount of pressure he doesn't have to get it right all the time every time in games when we don't have when we don't control possession or where we're getting pressed in wide areas I I sometimes think he loses his edge a bit and he just sort of becomes a a bit of a glorified wing back but um, in games like the Newcastle game he's really really important he's he's certainly in the in the games I I would I I I, um, I'm aware I don't want to use the phrase flat track bully but I think he is a little bit of of that uh, in that he will exploit weaker teams and um like if in games yes like yesterday's it's really important to have players like him who can uh, really take the initiative another player who uh, played well yesterday was Pablo Hernandez we had a few questions we had a lot of questions about Pablo actually um Tom Alderson said how do we fit Pablo in we looked much better with him on uh, and then Jamie Bridge said he scored a quality goal tonight but how ineffective or effective is Rodrigo in the attacking midfield role late in the game I know but Pablo for me showed me what we are, what showed what we are missing in the final third um, I've already made a caveat about game state I think this comes into play a little bit with the Pablo question um, given that the, he came on when uh, Newcastle late in the game when Newcastle were chasing the game and it just left a huge amounts of space for him to exploit which is presumably why Bielsa brought him on so I guess tactically that was a an astute move if we think back to the tactics question but um, Joe let's go to you what what's your take on on Pablo I mean it's great to see him on the field it's great to see him getting two assists in a 12 minute cameo um, what did you make of him is is that enough evidence for us to play him more regularly I think it is yeah I would like to see him play more regularly I'm, I'm not sure about him starting in the 11 um in reference to Tom's question, how how do we fit him in? Um, I think he's found his role in starting on the bench, to be honest. I mean, he is 35. We're not going to see him starting every single game. And I think cameos are going to be more of his thing, um, which I'm fine with, to be honest, because um, his cameo yesterday was, was unbelievable. Um, I was praying for that substitution when before it happened sort of five or ten minutes before it happened um that exact substitution I I thought needed to happen and that's not just me um saying that I'm a genius but I think that the game the game needed it I think Pablo is the type of player that can that can just change games and just produce moments of magic and we, we he showed exactly why he he should be in that role in terms of Rodrigo's performance um 
I did find him quite frustrating at times yesterday in terms of his tracking back and in terms of his... It's not It's not that he's not willing to do the work. It's just that I think he sometimes pushes that tiny bit too far forward at the wrong time and uh, struggles to get back in time uh, and, and pick up his man. Uh, I'm hoping that'll come with the more games that he plays, the more he'll get switched on as to exactly when he needs to do that. Because I think what having that extra body in the box a bit quicker does really give us a lot in terms of attacking as well. Um, I think... Uh, Pablo. In terms of Pablo, uh, I think especially that first assist that he got. Um, it's it's difficult to even call the second one an assist, really, even though it was a great pass. But it's 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 understatedly great. And and, and I think there aren't a lot of players in this Leeds team who um, would have necessarily been calm enough to pick out pick out that pass to Alioski. I think even though we had loads of men in the box and and we had you know we had not just Alioski, I think Harrison was to the left of him as well and could have passed to either of those players. But it, it it's great to have him for those moments where he just seems like the entire game slows down around him and he and he, and he's extremely calm. Um I I yeah, I, I was I I was actually uh when he, when Pablo came on, I must admit, I was I was quite worried about it. I thought why the we should I thought we should have brought Shackleton on but um, and someone, you know, to solidify the game. And, and I thought maybe Pablo would not be up to track him back when we needed him to. And and there was one occasion, I remember, when he was he was kind of already blowing out of his arse with the, a Newcastle winger kind of um, going straight past him just after he came on. But then, obviously, he just showed what he's great at and, and, and Bielsa showed why he, well, and Joe are geniuses and <laughs> I'm just an idiot sat on a sofa in Wakefield. <laughs> It will be interesting to see how Pablo is utilised over the next few weeks, especially over Christmas when we have a, a real glut of uh, games close together. So hopefully we'll see more of him being played. But I do think that we'll probably start seeing him brought on off the bench in late in games. I think that's probably going to be the solution with Pablo. I'm I'm not sure he's physically up to the task of, of, of the Premier League um, for a full 90 minutes. So I think just take cut your losses take the take the benefits where you can get them and um, use him late on, on in games for for those moments where you where you need like you said a calm head um, uh, game intelligence where you can just he can see the pass he can pick the right pass makes the right decisions and um, I, I certainly think that's the best way of playing him yeah and we've got like Burnley and Sam Allardyce's West Brom coming up soon haven't yeah. we so th- those are the kind of games when I'd hoped that he'll you know if, if we are struggling to make the breakthrough that Pablo can come on and do something uh, one more question in the attacking uh, section. We had a question from one of our patrons, Tom Marsden. He said, "Hi guys, people looking, uh, people are loving Rafinha's appearances so far this season. His positivity and what it brings to the team is easy to see, but are his selfishness and wasteful shooting causing more harm than good in terms of genuine goal-scoring chances? Seeing him repeatedly slice a long shot wide or into Rosehead, Alas Stewart, Dallas just seems a real waste of any build-up play against any team sitting deep." Cheers, Tom Marsden. Uh, Tom Woodhead, what do you, what do you, what would you say to Tom? Well, I think you could also you could switch that around and say that we would have drawn nil nil against Everton if it weren't for Rafinha's um, uh, desire to shoot from range. So, um, no, I, I think his shoot his shooting boots clearly weren't on last night. He he, he was he had a few wild slices at it, didn't he? But I think I think the fact that he's willing to have a shot isn't necessarily a bad thing, and I think his technique is better than Dallas's uh, usually. <laughs> so. Uh, I, I I thought he played well last night. To be honest, I thought he, uh, especially that 
I think it was, was it the fourth goal. He was extremely calm. You could see him. He was the furthest player forward when we were breaking. And as soon as the, he got the ball, you could see him have a little look behind him just to see what the state was with the players coming up and and who he had available. And he he was just super calm in laying that ball off to Pablo. And he he just brings a lot of variation to our play that I think isn't there when you've got Costa on that wing. Um, he he comes inside a lot more as as I said earlier, and he just makes us more unpredictable and I think unpredictability is is what makes a Bielsa team so great and occasionally we can look a bit predictable with our with our rehearsed movements and things like that so I think anything we can do um to break out of that while still um doing what Bielsa wants them to do can only be a good thing yeah it was quite interesting that you mentioned that fourth goal because um I'm not going to talk about set pieces in this episode much because we did have a big chunk at the beginning of the last episode on it. But interestingly, that was obviously from a set piece, well, from from their corner. And um, usually Rafinha is a zonal marker in our set piece um, setup, well, our defensive set piece setup. Uh, and for some reason, he was they they put him right on the the last man um, and had Tyler Roberts back. And I thought that's that's strange. I wonder if that's like a new thing that they're trying out. Um, but then in the, in the next corner, which we scored from, they, they didn't have him forward. They had him zonally marking. So I have no idea how that <laughs> happened, whether or not they, whether or not it was simply that they they thought, well, you know, it's probably best to try and try and hit them really quick on the break. So we'll push Rafinha onto the onto the last man for this one. But then once we were four two up, they were like, well, better to be defensively solid now rather than um, rather than more attacking. I don't know, but. These are the kinds of things you wish you could ask Bielsa, aren't they? Like he'd tell you if it if you're barking up the wrong tree and it's just by chance. Yeah, it could well be that. It could just be that one of them was already defending. So he, so if Tyler Roberts is back, he just says stay up, Rafinha, and and it was just that luck. But yeah, we'll we'll never know. Anyway, let's move on to the defensive side of the game. Um, we had a good question from Dean who said, are the goals we concede actually goals that most teams would also concede? Are we bad at defending or are we unlucky that those specific goals go in most of the time, regardless of opposition? Uh, one thing that I would say in response to this is you've got to, what, what you've got to distinguish, I think, is between the sorts of chances that we invite and whether or not we are good at defending those chances we invite comparative to other teams I said that's the that's the issue isn't it I mean we dominated Newcastle in the first half and, and most of this well the whole game we dominated Newcastle in terms of possession and, and creating chances and stuff but they created the better chances of the game until we created those late chances and that's because of the way we play you know we, we do overload um, going forward and it does mean that we we are going to give away bigger chances than than perhaps other teams will and so it's for me it's 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 sort of you can look at those chances and say well we're probably about the league average for 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 when we're on the on a defensive transition and about to concede but the problem is is that we do give away those big those big chances that maybe other teams don't give away so um joe what do you make of this whole whole topic yeah well i i completely agree um with with your point i think the the other thing I would add to that is that um, we are well below average in terms of how good we are at defending set pieces, and, and we all know this, and we don't want to go into this too much, but um, in terms of whether that's that we're unlucky or that we're bad at defending, I think you have to say from corners we are really bad at defending. Uh, most teams will concede a few corners per game. I think yesterday Newcastle had two or three, not that many, um, and you know we still conceded from one 
Um, and I don't even think um, the Newcastle player that scored was that tall. He, um, from from what I remember, I remember looking at him running away, cele- celebrating, thinking he's not even that tall. We sh- we really shouldn't be conceding that goal. Um, so I think in that sense, um, I think it's not that we're unlucky. I think that we are bad at defending in that in that way. But um, obviously, if we continue to outscore the opposition, um, then it won't really matter about set pieces too much. Hopefully, how about you, Tom? What's your take on the the defensive side? Yeah, I think we are noticeably bad, um, not just at set pieces, at defending in the air when the ball's in the air, especially when Cock isn't playing. Um, we're going to talk about Ailing in a minute, I think, but um, he was he was you know at fault for both goals. Uh, and I, I think I think the transition thing we are we are mostly pretty good at getting back and sniffing out those. Uh, transitional chances obviously we will concede some due to the way that we play but I don't think we're noticeably poor um, once those you know once those traps are sprung I don't think we're noticeably poor trying to deal with it I think we're actually quite good at getting bodies back and getting blocks in and things like that Um, and we have conceded some goals due to basically bad luck I think in those situations but I think in terms of set pieces and aerially um, we are definitely below average at defending and I think that's the kind of thing we're just gonna have to live with at least this season Uh, a player who has been absolutely brilliant recently and um, you know you said before Tom Woodhead that that you're just a guy sitting on a sofa in Wakefield but you have constantly banged the drum about uh, Luke Ayling being a good centre-back and um, he's been absolutely fantastic in the last few games Um, I (laughs) think I think he's probably our best centre-back weirdly at the moment Um, so here we are who, who knew that this was going to happen? But uh, Daniel Moroni asks, is, is Ailing the new Ben White? So I think it's only fair for us to go to Tom Woodhead for the first answer on this. Yeah, well, I mean, I've I've always loved um, Ailing at centre-back. Um, I, 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 it's it's funny, like, I'm about to gush about him for a minute or so, but he was at fault for both of Newcastle's goals last night. I just, But I just think he brings so much when we have the ball as well. Um, he, he runs forward with it like Ben White does, and I don't think... Cock does it, but I think Cock does it because he's told to do it rather than because it comes naturally to him. Um, I thought he was so dynamic and, and, and he has this thing where when we concede a goal, I think Ailing takes it upon himself to take the game by the scruff of the neck and he definitely did that after Newcastle's first goal. He was straight away bringing the ball out, getting the team moving, providing options, um, but intelligently not, not taking it too far, like going forward and then dropping back when he needs to. And I think... I'll have to actually search it, um, but if you go back to Bielsa's first season, I remember putting a tweet out that said that Ailing was our best centre back then. So this is not something that I've only recently decided. I, I've always liked him there, um, and I just think uh, I, I wrote a, I wrote an article actually for the Square Ball um, last season about how it's a bit, it's probably a bit childish as a thirty-five-year-old to have a favourite player, but sod it, my favourite <laughs> player is Ben White. <laughs> Do you want to say anything about Luke Ayling, Joe? I think Tom summed it up perfectly. I thought he was um, outstanding yesterday. The way that he drives through, the way that he can drive into space, and that and that does come naturally. Um, obviously, it helped that um, Phillips was ready to step in at centre-back, and I thought the rotation between the two of them was fantastic yesterday. Um, and I think even if Cock was back, I'd, I'd probably keep Ailing as a centre-back for the next game because uh, I think he deserves it. You know, obviously, <laughs> he, he was at fault for the goals, but um, he more than made up for it in his performance. I, I think the only thing is, I, I don't think Dallas played very well yesterday, so I probably would put Cock back in only because I think I'd want Ailing back at full-back. But if we had, um, if we had a right-back that 
that um, could offer as much as Ailing offers, I think I'd be totally happy for Ailing to stay at centre back. What was the stat that that Luke Ailing had? Uh, I think he carried the ball for 521 yards of progressive distance last night, which is pretty incredible. As Josh Hobbs said on our Twitter account, incredible numbers for a centre-back playing in a two. Um, and it just makes such a big difference being able to have that flexibility in the build-up phase. And, you know, like you, like you said, maybe we should talk about um, Alioski and Dallas as well at this point, because I think if you had... If you had uh, um, if you had Ailing and then and then maybe uh, fullbacks who were a little bit better in the build-up phase, I think we would just be a remarkably good team. Um, so we had a question from Mike Turetsky who said, we've been threatening that kind of thumping win for a long time. Overlapping fullbacks are so vital to our game, but they need to be good defenders too. With Ailing at centre-back, who are your preferred choices for fullbacks? Um, and then Tom Alderson, um, the cheeky sod, said, someone asked John... Someone asked John if Alioski and Dallas are good enough. So, um, yeah, between all of this, I guess the question is, how do you see our fullback situation? Um, is that is it a potential weakness? Um, in games like yesterday's game, I think it's it's fine. I think we, we can get away with having Dallas and, and Alioski, but I think you, we probably need, I think, and I think this is what we've had in the past, one, a, a sort of team of, 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 of a maybe more, progressive fullback and then maybe a more defensive fullback one on each side and then fit them in tactically as it goes so I'll hand this question over to you Joe what, 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 what's your thinking on the fullback situation I was thinking about this a lot this morning people people asking if they're good enough if so-and-so is good enough um and my sort of hot take is that um Alioski and Dallas are good enough um at least for this season because we have to remember that our goal for this season is is not to get relegated basically you know 17th place would be would be great and we'd all be really happy with that so in terms of are they good enough to to allow us to finish 17th or higher well absolutely i think they are and i think they've shown that they are and in games like yesterday they'll they'll do the job and they'll be fine and we'll get the three points and there'll be plenty of those games um to come this season and maybe there will also be games where they they get found out you know um against top quality wingers but in terms of are they good enough well this season absolutely yeah but moving forward if if we happen to stay up in the next couple of years then um i do totally agree that um you know ha- having them in the positions that they played last night probably won't work if we want to be pushing to mid table and then top 10 finish you know in the next few years but this season yeah for me they're completely good enough how would you approach this tom would you do you think that there are better combinations of fullbacks that we can use than than Dallas at right back and Alioski at left back. How would you like to set it up? I don't think there's an obvious switch to be made. Um, I, I, I it wouldn't hugely distress me if we started with either Davis or Shackleton um, at left back or right back respectively. But I think with with those with Dallas and Alioski, we know what they, the, those players can offer. We know what they're good at. We know what their faults are. Um, I. I must admit that both fullbacks hugely frustrated me last night, especially during the first half. Um, but as Joe said, we, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. You can't you can't go about changing everything. Uh, and I think this is one area that we've just had to accept. Okay, we're going to stay at the level we were in the championship with these players. And I think it will definitely be one of the first things I look at. We'll look at in the summer, assuming we stay up. Is a definitely a left back, I think, because Alioski isn't even really a left back, is he? Like, it's not. It's not the position he'd want to play. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think good enough for this season. Um, I it would. I 
would be quite happy if we, you know, were maybe if, if if a bargain came up, it'd be quite nice if we bought someone in January for one of those positions. But um, and I, I know people think that when we talk about Dallas, that we're you know we're, we're getting on his back too much or whatever. But I think you know Dallas has done incredibly well to be playing in the Premier League, and it, you know he deserves nothing but praise in that regard. He's he's he's. Uh, you know, we talk a lot about Leeds playing at the edge of their ability and Cooper playing at the edge of his ability. And then Dallas is another one, I think, who, you know, you could never have imagined in a million years that Dallas would be a first choice uh, fullback for a Premier League side like five years ago or a fullback at all indeed. So, you know, he's <laughs> done incredibly well to to get where to get where he is in his career and all all credit to him. I just think that is both fullback areas are some of the, are possibly the two first things we should be looking at if and when we do um, start buying more players. I think this whole topic is complexified by the fact that we were such a dominant team in the championship last season that it's very hard to judge quite how good players are in those sorts of positions. Um, And I guess a lot of the questions that are raised in this season are whether or not that that sort of heightened scrutiny that our defenders have to go through is, is justifying their position in the team. And I Liam Cooper is another one who gets uh, that kind of flack. Although I think I'm, I'm I, again, I'm happy with Cooper at the moment. I mean, Cooper's towards the end of his career. He's, we also have a decent replacement for him in Pascal Strauch, so I don't worry too much about him. And it, it seems as though there's a sort of natural successor uh, idea there, which we don't really have so much. I don't think with the with the two fullback areas. You know, is Jamie Shackleton going to be brought in as a as a replacement for Luke Ayling eventually? Is is Cody Jarme going to be brought him brought in as a as a replacement? Is is Leif Davis a replacement at left back for for whoever? And uh, I think those questions are still up for grabs. So it does definitely leave um, some some of the things that we've talked about up in the air. But um, I'm aware of time moving on. I'm going to miss out positives this week because I don't think we need to really <laughs> g ourselves up. I think everything pretty much yesterday was positive, apart from a very few negatives. Let's move on to the Manchester United preview. This week I was lucky enough to speak to Case von Hemmen, who is a data scientist and a Manchester United supporter, and this is what he had to say about Manchester United. So Case, hi, how are you doing? I'm good, John. Thanks for having me on. Mm, I can tell by your, your accent that you're not in this country at the moment. So how, how is it? You're over in the US, <laughs> right? How's, how is it over there? Yeah, it's all right. It's uh, you know slowly turning into winter. The days are getting shorter, but otherwise could be a lot worse. But even though you're all the way over the other side of the pond, you are in fact a Manchester United fan. So let's jump in and talk a little bit about Manchester United. So everyone loves to joke about Manchester United being bad and Ole being at the wheel. But when you're game in hand and you're only two points off the top of the table, is the competition in the Premier League just that bad this season or are Manchester United not as bad as people think? I would say definitely the competition is is more even and more inconsistent than it's been the past two, three years, right? There's no dominant side. There's not going to be a... 100-point team. Um, but I also think United aren't as bad as so, as their worst performances have been. Um, I think they are good, but you just never know what you're going to get because this side doesn't really have a tactical identity week to week. And the performances vary so much based on opponents and the personnel that Solskjaer chooses to, to field. And I guess following on from that, it seems as though the same old problems are still evident a little bit from across Solskjaer's tenure. Manchester United look much more competent as a counter-attacking side than as a side who can break down low blocks. Do you think this will ever change under him? Is is that something that requires some kind of tactical identity to to be able to um, roll out properly? Yeah, so no. He's he's never going to, to implement serious attacking patterns. It's not, I don't think it's part of how he views the game, which not to validate that, but 
I, th I think he has a, an idea around attackers sort of doing, taking the initiative and, and coming up with their own means for scoring goals, which I don't think is a good idea, uh, but I don't think he's ever going to stray from that. On the other hand, we have seen with new signings coming in, uh, especially more experienced players, players like Fernandez and, and Cavani, they, they sort of take the initiative on their own. And they, they, when they were playing together, they were starting to form an understanding that in some ways substituted for patterns. And we were starting to see better performances against low blocks. Uh, but no, Solskjaer is never going to, to implement some comprehensive attacking system. I guess in light of that, my question would be, how good would you say that the Manchester United squad actually is? Do you think that they would be title challengers with a better manager? I'm not sure about title challengers. The, the, this side definitely is more flawed than those, those absolute top-level sides like Liverpool and City. But I think you would definitely see more consistent week-to-week -week performances, and that would mean at the end of the season, the margin would be smaller. So maybe not a title challenge, but I definitely think if you had somebody like a Pochettino you would see a, a eight-point gap between first and United, or a 12-point gap rather than 20, 30 points. And so would, would Pochettino be the ideal manager for you at this point? Is there, is there any other managers who you would take? The, the, there's a world of managers I would take. Pochettino, for me, is, is my, my personal preference, but uh, there's, I'd take half the Bundesliga. I'd take uh, <laughs> Allegri. I would, uh, there's, there's so many options that I think probably have a better idea of what they want. Then Solskjaer, and I don't hate Solskjaer, I'm not, you're not going to find me in the streets yelling Ollie out, but I think there are a lot of options that could provide that. Uh, Pochettino just happens to be the one that springs to my mind. Let's talk a little bit about the transfer business over the summer. How pleased were you with the transfer business at Old Trafford this time around? Yeah, so from the perspective of processes, the process was awful. We had needs and we there was very clearly... There was not a plan for addressing those needs outside of, gosh, I hope we get Jaden Sancho. And, and, and that whole fiasco with, are they going to pay the 120 million, 100, 100 million, whatever the number was. Um, and essentially, they, they forced themselves into a corner where they had to scramble to get whoever was available. Ultimately, I don't hate who we wound up with. Um, Von de Beek is an elite player at the position that he plays. Uh, I think Cavani is still an excellent, excellent player. And when he's been on the pitch, he's changed games for us. Uh, Tila's seems relatively, seems like an improvement on Shaw to some extent in some parts of the game. He's certainly a player I'm happy to have in the side. Uh, but we still didn't address the real pressing issues. We still need a defensive midfielder. Uh, a lot of people feel we need another center back. And we obviously, we've needed a right winger for a decade now. So I wasn't upset as upset with it as others were. But it definitely could have been. I was hoping we were going to get a proper Dutch pronunciation of Donny van der Beek, but um, <laughs> you managed to swerve that one. How do you feel about van der Beek? I think, he's, I think he is a top-level, like really a super club-level player uh, when played in his best position, which for me is as an advanced midfielder, sort of on the last line of defense. Um, he has an elite understanding of space, uh, both how to manipulate it for his teammates and to exploit it for himself. But he's also a player whose performance, I think, is pretty reliant on other people expecting him to do the things that he does and finding him in those spaces that he exploits. Uh, and this is not a team that is built for that. Uh, you, there's moments where Fernandez or Pogba uh, will see what he's doing and, and recognize it and, and play him in. And those are some of our best moments in, in a lot of our matches. But 
they're few and far between, again, because we don't have attacking patterns. So let's talk about the tactics insofar as they exist. Um, where would you say that uh, Solskjaer's Manchester United are right now tactically? What are the basic ideas behind his team? This is a tough question to answer because this changes week to week drastically. Um, obviously, there are, there are a few tenets that, that hold true constantly. This is a team that's pretty, uh, the back six uh, is pretty rigid, uh, both going forward and defensively. You aren't going to see, see a lot of positional interchange uh, with the, the typical pivot that we play. Uh, the fullbacks don't get high that often. That's starting to change a little bit, but it's still something you won't really see. Um, and that, that protects us in defensive transition, but it also doesn't offer us a lot of dynamism going forward, which is where you'll see the front four interchanging positionally. And then Fernandez will, will drop deep to create overloads in various phases of play, but it's really not well organized going forward. And, and so to say that we have a tactical identity isn't really true because it, when Martial plays, you have a lot of combo play and, and there's overloads on the left. Um, when Pogba plays, you, you have a more vertical passing game. We play over the top more. Uh, and, and this is true of practically any player grouping. So, yeah, I mean, that's my answer to that. So it's almost as though it very much depends which star player you have on the field as to what your tactics are going to be. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about formations then, because in terms of formations, there does seem to have been a little bit of tweak, tweakery around Manchester United's setup this season. Um, just having looked through some of the games, you've, you seem to have played either a 4-2-3-1 or a 4-4-2 diamond with uh, an occasional 3-5-2 thrown in, I think, in the Champions League. What do you think is the logic between Solskjaer's decision to use one formation rather than the other? I mean, we think we're a little bit spoiled at Leeds because there's such a tight um, li line of thinking between what Bielsa is going to expect his opponent to play and what he will counteract that with, that we just get used to being able to sort of guess pretty much player for player what's going to happen in each game. But how does that work for, for Manchester United fans of, of Solskjaer's approach? Right. So for the most part, our default formation under Solskjaer since the beginning of last season, because initially he played a 4-3-3 when he was on, on a temporary basis. But since the beginning of last season, a 4-2-3-1 is what we've used uh, predominantly. In bigger matches, especially uh, matches where it seems like he was worried about the half spaces being exploited, he would go to a 3-5-2, 5-3-2, whichever one you want to call it. Um, and then he would sort of shuttle that pivot into whatever was left of the half spaces to make almost a back seven. He did this against City last season to great effect. Um, used it against Chelsea, uh, and I think against Liverpool as well early last season. Uh, but then he used it in the FA Cup last season against Chelsea a second time, and we couldn't play out of the back because of the, the pressure that Chelsea were applying. And so it seems like he's, for the most part, abandoned that against uh, high-pressing teams and moved more towards this 4-4-2 diamond, uh, which is what we saw against City this past weekend. We saw it against RB Leipzig in the Champions League. Um, now, I'm not entirely certain that it is a structure that he's hoping to use to play out of pressure. That, that's my guess. But you, we've also seen him use it in, in other fixtures where that doesn't seem to be the objective. Uh, so there's a slight trend with what's going on there, but I'm not sure it's reliable. So, uh, yeah, it's tough to tell. Like you, like you said, he's, he's not nearly as uh, predictable in terms of how he likes to counteract opponents as Bielsa is. So what formation do you think he'll use against Leeds then? It'll be one of the, 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 those latter two formations, the 4-2-3-1 or the 4-4-2 diamond. My guess is the 4-2-3-1. That's his default. Um, and he really doesn't get too tactically inventive 
against non-Big Six opposition or or non-Champions League opposition. That might change against against Leeds because you don't play uh, a conventional style of football for a, a, a side with a lesser budget. Um, but we'll see. I, my guess is the 4-2-3-1. So Leeds are a team who are very posi- positionally astute and can break down sides through their manipulation of space. But they're also a team who can be somewhat chaotic in defensive transition and concede a lot of dangerous set pieces. Which of these two factors do you think would be more impactful for Manchester United going into this game? Yeah, so I, I've given this some thought. I think the 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 going forward for Leeds, I don't think that, that that's going to be a big problem for Manchester United because, as I mentioned, there's a lot of rigidity both in build-up and uh, in defense from that back six. The pivot and the back four are largely static. There's very little interchange. Um, and I think that really benefits us when defending in transition uh, and defending in a block. So I don't think that will be, that's not something that scares me. Um, we're also not particularly good from set pieces going forward though. So I don't think that is something we'll necessarily be able to exploit. So definitely your defensive transitions are the things I would look to as like the key factor for this match. Because we are a good counterattacking side, and I think you are a side that can be counterattacked against. I've got a question here about the way that you create chances through individual moments rather than through structured attacking play, and you've touched on this throughout the uh, the interview so far. Um, obviously, a lot of this has come down to Bruno Fernandes being a, a genius. Um, does that sort of thing worry you at all? Is it, is it, are United only really as good as the individuals in their side playing at the top level of their game? And as soon as that goes, then then problems start creeping in. I would take it a step further and say when Fernandez isn't on the field, they are worse than the sum of their parts. This United <laughs> team is incredibly talented. I, I really believe that, but they can't knit things together. There's no understanding of one another, especially since a lot of these players have arrived in the last year. I think that has something to do with it but without Fernandez on the pitch they struggle to create overloads going forward uh, and they really can't get their players in positions that that are beneficial to them Rashford and Martial are both brilliant 1v1 players they're 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 good dribblers they like to take players on but they don't get in those situations against a, a deep block and Fernandez is really the only person who has an understanding of how to create those situations so yeah they, there's a, an immense reliance on individual brilliance in this team it's a huge problem it's the problem if, if I was to pick a single problem so let's talk about the game on Sunday then how are you looking injury wise at the moment we're uh Cavani is the only person who I think has a serious knock and it looks like he's going to be ready uh to play Sheffield United on Wednesday or Thursday I forget I think Thursday so it looks like we are largely uninjured I think Phil Jones actually won't be available but he's not really been in the, the first team picture for a while now anyway and so, given that you've got a full squad available, pretty much, how do you think you're going to line up on Sunday? So, this is not how I would line up, but my guess is you're going to see either Martial on the left or Rashford on the left, and then whichever one isn't on the left, up top, with Bruno behind him, uh, Greenwood on the right, and then a Pogba, McTominay, Pivot, pivot and then uh, Shaw, Maguire, Lindelof, and Wambasaka, which is the typical back four when we're fully fit, and then De Gea in goal. One of the questions that I ask all of our guests um, is which player on their side needs for needs to perform well in order for them to beat Leeds. It sounds as though you're probably going to say Bruno Fernandes, but um, I'll let you make that decision. 
I, I'm not going to take Fernandez because if the, the team just changes without Fernandez. Fernandez is the bare minimum. For us to play well and win matches, it really comes down to how that pivot performs. Whoever's in it, if it's Pogba or Fred or McTominay or Matic or even Von de Beek we've been using there. Um, I think it's going to come down to those players because if Leeds can effectively uh, trap uh, those two uh, in the, with the press and, and don't allow them to, to turn on the ball and play vertically, it's going to be very, very hard for this United team. It always is. Um, none, of, none of those players that we have available in those positions are comfortable receiving near the defensive line and then turning out of pressure upfield. And so if you can exploit that, the game will be won on your side. And if you can't, I'm pretty confident. So that's what I would point to. And another thing I do I don't do on this podcast is ask for predictions. You're welcome to give one if you want, but I don't really um I don't really care too much about predictions because anything can happen. But what I do ask is how do you expect the game to go? What do you expect the the ebb and flow of the game to be? Well, I expect a lot of goals and I'll <laughs> I'll tell you why. Obviously, you guys have been playing a very open style of play both going forward and and defensively, but I think United are suited in some ways to how you defend. Uh, well, and more than that, I think the, I touched on this multiple times already, but I think the way, the, the, the dynamic between your, your defensive transition, essentially, I think benefits us because I think the opportunities that Rashford will get one-on-one, and I'm almost certain he'll start, are our best moments, even in our worst games. If Rashford can get into space, into one-on-ones or hopefully in behind, (laughs) I think that will mean goals for us. And I think there's a good chance of that. So then my prediction would essentially just be whoever gets the opener wins this match. Cool. Well, case it's been great. If people want to find some of the stuff you're putting out about um, football in general, where's the best place for them to go? My Twitter, um, at Hem and Case on Twitter. I've got all my articles linked um, there. Uh, yeah, there's tons of stuff. There's a, I've got a, mostly I focus on younger players, uh, but I talk about all kinds of stuff. There, so if you're interested. Well, as I say, it was great fun to chat to you. Thanks so much for, for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. 
Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So that was Case von Hemmen, a data scientist and Manchester United supporter. Joe Hill, what did you make of that? It was great. It was a, it was a really balanced view, actually. Sometimes you have the, the opposition views that are particularly negative and sometimes they're, they're incredibly positive. And I thought... Um, case was was actually really balanced he sort of i love the quote where he said they're they're worse than the sum of their parts when fernandez isn't on the pitch um <laughs> which made me extremely happy to listen to um <laughs> because you know you just love to hear it as a leeds fan um and i do totally agree with him that um i think they are reliant this season they're reliant on big moments from big players and they they certainly have enough really really good players um, but as a team, um, yeah, I, I do agree with Case in that they're, they're not particularly coherent this season. Tom Woodhead, what did you take away from it? Exactly the same as Joe, really. I mean, it was a very sober, reasoned kind of encapsulation of Manchester United at the moment. Um, and yeah, often you can hear the kind of either positive or negative biases in these interviews. And, and that's totally understandable. But it's really hard to argue with anything he said. I think it, it, it all made perfect sense. I guess the, for us then, we've, we've started off talking about bias. This is a tricky game for, for Leeds fans to sort of contemplate, isn't it? The Manchester United one, because I think it's the game of the season that we would probably sell our souls to the devil for if we could win. Um what do you what do you make of of, of Manchester United um, from the point of view of the of the Leeds fans? Do you think the Leeds fans underrate Manchester United, Tom? I think probably uh, uh, mostly just because Manchester United are a poor team in a lot of ways for the amount of money they've spent. But unfortunately, the teams that they do play well against are teams like Leeds. Um, so it's not that necessarily that Leeds fans underrate them. It's more that I think they don't always take into account the fact that their good performances come against teams like us. Joe, how about you? How do you feel about um, Manchester United as a Leeds fan? Do you think that we, because we, we have this whole sort of Ollie's at the wheel, United are doing really bad. Um, I, I know that if you look at the table, Manchester United are only three points ahead of us, but they also have a couple of games in hand on us. And if they win those couple of games in hand, they'll be second in the table. Um, so, it, I mean, I know that the, the table is an interesting table this season. Um but what do you make of what do you make of Manchester United? Do you think we maybe tend to underrate them? I think we do, and I think uh, many people do on the whole. But I think partly the reason is that um, a lot of the Man U fans will absolutely slate their team um, if they have one bad performance. You know, they can put together a string of wins and then they lose. Okay, they got beat six one um, by Spurs. But then everyone suddenly is Ollie out, you know, Ollie's shit, get rid, get rid. And then the same thing, you know, they lost to Leipzig and yeah, it's it's not great being out of the Champions League. But um the fan base just seems to explode and I think that's why it makes other other fans, you know, Leeds fans and every other every other team's fans, um, look at that and go, Well, they must be shit then. They must be they must be terrible because all the fans are up in arms about it. But um in reality, I think maybe if um, on social media and Twitter and all this that um, they just kept a bit more of a level head, which I think Leeds fans are, are learning to be quite good at, actually, um, then maybe we wouldn't underrate them so much and maybe maybe we'd see that they do have good players and they they actually are on course to be in a good position in the Premier League. Let's talk a little bit about the tactic side of things because I feel as though... Um... 
Manchester United may be quite a good correlate for Chelsea in this respect in that um, United will are pretty solid defensively as Case pointed out um, and then they have a lot of sort of individual players up front who are going to be one-on-one probably better than our players um, are we worried that this is going to end up as as being a game similar to the Chelsea game Joe? Um, I am a little bit worried about that when you when you just see the individual quality that they have um Obviously, it's been a theme of this season um, that if you break down our man marking system in a one v one, if you if you take on your player, then there's suddenly a load of space, and then you know it all sort of breaks down. And when you look at players like Pogba, Fernandez, Rashford, they can easily win one v ones. You know, Pogba can just turn like three people in the in the middle of the pitch, just use his strength, and then break into space. Um, so I guess I am a bit worried defensively from from that point of view. We'll we'll have to make sure that our our pressing in the in the midfield areas is maybe not too rash. We don't dive in on players like Pogba because if we do, then like I say, he'll just turn you, and then the whole man marking system will be broken, and there'll be free men everywhere. Case made it pretty clear that he thinks that it's going to be a four two three one, and I guess a four two three one is pretty much how Newcastle set up yesterday. So I suspect we'll probably see the four one four one. Tom Woodhead, would you just be happy with us going out with the same eleven that we had out midweek, or would you make changes? I can't see any obvious changes to make. To be honest, um, we're not going to have any of the injured players back. Um, we're not. Uh, yeah, I mean, who would you bring in? Uh, I think I think it's likely to be the same team. Mm. You wouldn't rotate just to give some players a rest. Uh, no, I mean, you know, they're playing tonight, aren't they? Thursday night, so they'll have had one day's less rest than us. So, and and. I think it's very unlikely that Bielsa is going to rotate. He won't rotate in general, will he? So I think maybe that period around uh, Christmas when we have a game literally two days after another game, we might see some rotation. But I don't think he's going to be worried about anyone being tired. How about you, Joe? Would you would you switch anything up? No, I'd keep it exactly the same. I think all the players have done enough to warrant their place. Um, the four one four one system will work against Man United's system. So um, yeah, I'd keep it exactly the same. In terms of players that we're most worried about on the Manchester United team, I know we, we know that they have like a, an absolutely stacked squad and potentially with a with a better manager, they would probably be pushing up the table. Certainly challenging uh, for for one of the top few positions but um which players on the uh, in that squad are we the most worried about tom or fernandez definitely Mm. he's just a very very creative player um and i suppose rashford uh greenwood any anyone with pace um who can run at us is always terrifying for us uh, on transition and I don't know if Cavani's... I know Cavani came to the team a couple of weeks ago. I'm not sure if he's still starting, but he's good in the air. And I think we we always struggle against forwards that are decent in the air. So, um, again, it's like they just... They, they do have quality through all the attacking positions. So it's hard to single anyone out, to be honest. But, um, I mean, I, I do find it absolutely astounding that, you know, apart from, you know, their attacking end of the pitch that they still described as needing a centre-back like after the amount of money they've spent on centre-backs uh, but that's a separate thing I suppose. <laughs> Joe what about you? Yeah I completely agree with all those players to be honest I think it's just mostly the attacking players they've just got the quality um, and like I said before you just look at them individually matching them up to our players and and that's what we should be most worried about it's not that they do anything tactically insane um and case was kind of saying the same thing um 
So you know if they if they do have an off day, which they have a, a good few recently, and the the key players don't play well, then we should be okay. But um, I got a feeling that they'll be up for it, and yeah, the the individual quality um, is is brilliant on that team. So we really need to be careful. Let's talk about who needs to play well for Leeds. So who are the players that we are looking out to have a good game if Leeds are to beat? Uh, Manchester United Tom the entire back four really I think all need to be on it especially the full backs so probably Dallas and Elioski um, I think they'll look to break uh, down wide areas with you know, whoever they play on the wings whether it's Rashford Greenwood um, whoever it ends up being um, and yeah I mean th- that would be that would be the main ones all, all our defensive players I think because I think we do have enough going forward to cause them problems it's just we'll commit a lot of bodies forward so we just need to be so on it in terms of getting tight to our markers when when things do break down yeah joe would you add anything to that i'm going to add phillips to that because um you're going to assume that he's marking fernandez if if fernandez is a 10 um then that would be that would be phillips marking him um and obviously he's going to have to do he's going to have to do a job on him um hopefully he can not get booked in sort of the first half or the first 60 minutes because um, I think that impacted him a bit yesterday, and Newcastle didn't really um, make him pay for that. But um, if he gets an early booking, I'll I'll be a bit worried about him, to be honest, because Fernandez is um, a diving bloody bastard, as I like to say. <laughs> we did have a question from Jacob Stanbridge, who uh, is one of our patron supporters. He said, "Looking ahead to Manchester United, obviously Harrison played a lot better tonight, and it would likely take injury for him not to play. How best can he attack?" Aaron Wan-Bissaka, or given the offensive qualities of the Manchester United fullbacks, could we see him and Rafinha switch wings? Tom, what would you make of that? I think that's an interesting point about the switching wings because Wan-Bissaka, I think, is a very good defensive fullback, but he doesn't offer quite so much going forward as most modern right-backs do. Uh, so so I, I actually think it's... I don't think we'll start that way, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if, say, midway through the first half, the wingers switch uh, similar to... Was it the... Was it the Everton game that we did that where uh, Harrison went over to the right wing and Rafinha went to the left? And the West Ham game. Right, yeah. Any game where we look uncreative, <laughs> we tend to just think, oh, well, mm. what's the worst that can happen? Let's switch sides. But although I think in the Everton one, it was a, it was for similar reasons to this, wasn't it? That um, uh, oh, There was one game anywhere, anyway where we did it mostly because Harrison uh, would deal with their left back better. And I think it wouldn't surprise me if we see that. Right, let's just talk about how you think the game is going to pan out. Obviously, we don't really talk about predictions, but how do you think this game is is going to go? Do you think that it's going to be a game where we see um, Manchester United sort of absorb any pressure we we do and just shred us on the break, or do you think we can uh, we can control the game a little better than that? Yeah, I, I mean, I certainly hope we can. What what we can't afford to do, I think, is play like we did in the first ten minutes versus Newcastle. Because although that was a good performance, I think Manchester United would have would have really punished us I think, for some of the sloppy passes and things like that. So it's going to be interesting to see how much possession we really have because I think Solskjaer is, uh, is, is almost his defining characteristic is his Manchester United-ness. And I think he'd find it a bit of an affront to have uh, less possession than Leeds at home. He He's all about tradition. He's all about you know this this great club, this, uh, this big, massive club. So um, I... I I do wonder if almost pride will will cause them to play a little bit differently than they would do against, you know, say PSG in the Champions League and things like that when they when they give their really great counter-attacking performances. That's something I'm sort of holding on to and hoping that yeah that they'll be 
a bit arrogant. Joe, how about you? Yeah, I completely agree with Tom in that the the fixture is going to G them up massively. Um, We've already mentioned that they're going to have one day's less rest than us, um, which could play into our hands. And recently they have been starting really, really slowly. Um, I think the past sort of three games at least, um, the first half has just been absolutely terrible. Um, So I'm hoping that they'll be a bit fatigued and you know, maybe we can nick one early on. and But I, I think the second half, uh, definitely, no, ma- no matter what, they're going to come out at us and hopefully we can just get hold of the game in the second half and um, hold on to the lead that we that we might have by them. Yeah, not too early on though, because I think we always wanted to get an early lead, but then we found out in the last two games before Newcastle <laughs> that if we get an early, a lead too early, it doesn't go very well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So there you have it, that's the All-Stats Aren't We Manchester United preview and I guess the uh, Newcastle United review all in one, so hope you enjoyed that. Um, just a little bit of uh, housekeeping, the schedule over the next few weeks is going to be a little bit different, so um, what you can look for from here on in is a Manchester United review podcast on Monday the 21st. We have our Patreon live stream uh, on the evening of Tuesday the 22nd at 8pm. Um, do head over to our Patreon and, and check that out if you are interested in more details about that. Um, then we'll have, I think, a Christmas preview podcast on Wednesday the 23rd or maybe Thursday the 24th, depending on how we feel. Um, and that will be the enviable task of uh, covering both Burnley and West Brom's game. So we'll get both of the previews into that episode and then we'll do a Christmas review on Wednesday the 30th-ish where we look back over both of those games and then we'll do um, a Spurs preview, I think, at some point that week as well. One thing I should say at the end as well is if you do like our content and want to see more of it, we do have a Patreon channel, as I've already mentioned, where we put up bonus written and audio and video content. So if that sounds interesting to you, head over to patreon.com forward slash allstats, aren't we? And three people who have done that this week are Miguel Ramirez, Tom Newton and David Glees. So thank you guys for that. There's nothing left for me to do then than to say thank you to Tom. Thank you. Thank you to Joe. Cheers. And we'll see you after the weekend. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.